morning I do not have a clever little story to begin our time together. Because this morning, this is, is the time which we begin to focus on the gospel according to Matthew. If you're new with us or, or visiting, we, we are glad to have you with us. This is the part of our service where we do something that may seem a little strange and odd, maybe even to those who have grown up in the church. It's where we open up this ancient book called the Bible and work our way through it, where we read it and where we unpack it for the next little bit, whether it's me or or someone else. We want to hear from God's voice. And that's why we do what we do, because we believe this is the authoritative word of God. We believe this is how he speaks to us, how he communicates to us about who he is, who we are and how he redeems us in Christ. So that's what we're going to do here the next little bit. As I said, this morning we start uh, a new study, uh, the gospel according to Matthew. Now, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels. But that does not mean that there are four different gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John collectively have written about the gospel in their own accounts, recalling events that they were part of or have heard specifically and labored to communicate this one and true gospel to those around them. They, in, in what Bible scholars like to call, they contextualize the gospel to their context. So as Mark wrote, he wrote from Peter's perspective. He wrote in communicating from the life of Peter. Luke had his own purpose. John had his own purpose, which is actually very different in his gospel account than that of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, in particular, had a purpose. He aims to communicate this one same gospel, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. He aims to communicate that, to show us, but from a Jewish perspective. He labors to show us how this Jesus came to fulfill all that was written, all that was promised from of old. Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. I love what uh, one commentator writes about in setting up the the gospel of Matthew. He says this. He says, uh, sorry, this is the uh, Melodic. If I could speak this morning, melodic line running through Matthew. Jesus has all authority so that all nations might obey all he has commanded. This is the grand theme of the story of Matthew. Everything is setting up and culminating in this. Jesus has all authority so that all nations might obey all that he has commanded. This is the the line, the the melody that's going to be underlining. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. uh, Getting going to be there sounding below the scenes. So as we start in Matthew 1 all the way until Matthew 28, this is going to be the melody beating behind the scenes. Jesus has all authority. He calls us to obey him in light of that authority and to follow all that he has commanded. But what about this gospel? When was it written? 
It was written in the 50s or, or 60s, not 1950 and 1960, but 0050, those 50s. So some nearly 2,000 years ago, Matthew wrote this gospel. He wrote it again to a Jewish people with that in mind to, to show them here who is Jesus. He is the one who fulfills, who comes to sit on the throne of David, which we'll be looking at more next week. This is who this Jesus is. He come to communicate to us that the, the mission of the church is summed up in the Great Commission as Matthew ends. It ends with go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Church, that was the mission 2,000 years ago and it's still our mission today. As we consider Matthew we must know that this is where it's going and this is what we are called to do as the church as ordinary and faithful Christians we're to be about making disciples of all nations there's a reason we prayed about that this morning this is what we want to do but Matthew's more than that too we're going to see as we study through Matthew we're going to see the greatest sermon ever told believe it or not the greatest sermons are not by charles spurgeon or john piper they were preached by jesus christ on the sermon on the mount the greatest sermon we're going to look at from jesus himself but as we work our way through matthew i want to make clear where we're going we're not going to try and do this all at once we're not going to study matthew 1 through 28 in the next year and a half to two years or longer. It's going to be broken up in multiple parts. So we begin part one today, Matthew 1. We're going to end in February or March with only getting to Matthew 4. We'll do the Sermon on the Mount this fall, and then we'll come back to the, the rest as time goes. So it's going to be broken up, but hopefully we'll connect the dots. So that's where we're going. That's the roadmap. But this morning, let's dive in to see who is this Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord for Matthew 1, verses 1 through 6. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab, the father of Nation. And Nation, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. This is the word of the Lord. This is the first part of the genealogy of Jesus. But what in the world? Why stop here? Well, for one, the genealogy is broken into three parts, and that's how we're going to handle this over the next three weeks, looking at the hope through this part of the genealogy. So what is the, the point this morning? Well, I think this is the point of this first part of the genealogy. Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham who brings blessing to all the nations. That's it. And yet it's massive. Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham 
who brings blessing to all the nations. Yes, I know in one one it mentions David. That's coming next week. It will make sense, I hope. But now, let's focus on Jesus is the son of Abraham who brings blessing to all nations. Again, Matthew 1, 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is where we go. And we're going to unfold this main idea in these three points then. The promised blessing, point one. Point two, the surprising lineage. And point three, the unwavering hope. The promised blessing, the surprising lineage, the unwavering hope. As Matthew 1.1 begins there, the book of genealogy, this could also say it's the book of Genesis, the book of beginning of Jesus Christ. This is how he began. This is his lineage, his family history. He doesn't need a DNA test to trace his ancestors. It's been recorded and here it is in summary for us. Yes, this genealogy, it doesn't include every person in his genealogy. You want a fuller account in the genealogy? Go read through the Chronicles in the Old Testament. It's where I am right now. It's got name after name after name of here's where these people have come from. Here's their family line. And it gives a fuller. Even Luke gives a little bit fuller. He starts with Adam and works his way forward. Matthew does something different. He has a specific purpose, particularly letting us know who this Jesus Christ is as the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's wanting to zoom in on these particular points for us this morning. Yes, son of David comes first, but we need to focus here on the son of Abraham. Now, let me step back a moment for those maybe newer to Christianity or newer to the Bible, or maybe this is your first time in a church. Again, we're glad you're here. But we should not read Jesus Christ as a last name. It's not like saying my last name is Ryan. Christ is not Jesus's last name. It's a title. It's a title given to him. Christ meaning Messiah or anointed one. This Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who is long foretold and who has finally come. And this is his beginning. That's what this is communicating to us. But in saying that he is the son of Abraham, we have to know our Bibles a little bit. We have to have a biblical theology, understanding that one part of the Bible connects to previous parts, that it all ties together. We need to see here that this Jesus is the son of Abraham, which goes back to the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis 12. Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As Jesus comes, as he is the son of Abraham, he is the one who comes to fulfill this promise that was made long ago to Abraham. 
Abraham was promised that he would be blessed, that he was called by God to leave his homeland, Ur, of the Chaldeans, and go to where God would show him, that he was invited to believe and follow God, and God would bless him and bless the nations, all the families of the earth through him. This Abram in Genesis 12 would be later called Abraham and having his name changed. This Abram, this Abraham is the one that God promised to bless. But it goes further. It doesn't end in Genesis 12. It continues in Genesis 17, 15, and 16. It says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, she shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. If you know the story of Abraham, you know he has an older son besides Isaac. But an illegitimate son at that. Because he was given Hagar from his wife Sarah to go into her And it had Ishmael. But Ishmael was not the promised son. Isaac was. And it is through Sarah, through a promised son, that this blessing will come, that nations will come, that kings will come from. This Isaac who will lead to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Oops. But it continues here to unfold. Genesis 18, 17 through 18. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham should surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Oops, I'll have to end there. Sorry. Long ago, it was promised to Abraham that he would be blessed. And this Jesus is the one who brings this about. Jesus, the son of Abraham, is the one who brings this blessing about because Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness, as we saw back in James 2.23, which says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. And though Abraham died long before this promise was fulfilled, He had a son and Isaac, a son who would carry on and be looking towards this promise. This continues as we continue on here in the genealogy. Look at verses two through six. A again, a being the first part of verse six. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez, the father of Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram and Ram, the father of Amenadab and Amenadab, the father of Nation and Nation, the father of Salmon and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David, the king. It is here through this line, each new generation of Abraham is waiting with hope. They're looking forward to this promise, this one to bring the blessing to the families of the earth. They're looking for Israel to fulfill this role. But Matthew, in writing this, wants the dots to be connected for us. 
He's saying that this blessing now comes in this Jesus, the Messiah, the long-promised one, in fulfilling his role as the son of Abraham. He wants to make it clear that Abraham, who was promised to bring blessing to all the families, it is now fulfilled in this Jesus, in this Messiah. He brings the blessings. In thinking about it, in Christmas, in Jesus, in his coming, joy comes to the world. Because as far as the curse is found, blessing comes to overturn it. Blessing comes through this Jesus in his coming. He comes to save the world full of sin and sinners. Jesus comes to save. He brings that blessing. As the book of Ephesians starts, it starts with blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. He truly brings blessing. Matthew will go on to flesh this out for us in the Sermon on the Mount in particular with the Beatitudes. Think of the first several of blessed be uh, those who are poor in spirit for they shall receive the heaven of God or they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek uh, who will inherit the earth. Blessing are the those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they shall be satisfied. Who brings these Christ, the Messiah, who has come in Jesus. Jesus will be the one to bring about these blessings in fulfilling the promises to Abraham. What was hoped for is now fulfilled in Jesus. But that leads us to our second point this morning, the surprising lineage. It's not just that Jesus brings hope and fulfillment through Abraham. He brings a lot more, and it should be shocking to us. Look here at verse 2 again. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. The first part of that isn't really that shocking. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This should not shock those who know the history of Israel Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were the fathers. They were the patriarchs that stood long ago. Everyone recognized that they were the faithful ones. And and therefore, we worship the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They stand. In fact, the 12 tribes come from this Jacob. So no surprise in that. But as we conclude here in verse 2, where it says, And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers... Little bells and whistles should be going off as we consider this genealogy. Friends, just as a side note, it's one thing to read the Bible, but we need to be better readers of the Bible. Readers who know our Bibles forward and backwards. Readers that begin to learn and pick up on these little things as we read, such as of Judah. Because guess what? Judah is not new to us here in Matthew 1. He's found long ago... He's found in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings of the world. He's found as the son of Jacob, but not the first son. That's what's shocking. Judah is not the first son of Jacob. He's the fourth. 
His oldest three brothers are passed over here in this genealogy. The promise goes to Judah. Of course, again, if we know our Bibles, this helps us because Genesis 49, 8 through 12 begins to explain this for us. Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 49, 8 through 12. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. This was long foretold of Judah. That he would be the one in which kings would come from. That authority would come from. This was long foretold of Judah. Going back to what I was saying about knowing our Bibles backwards and forwards. Christian, this is why we should read our Bibles regularly through. I'm not encouraging that you need to read through the Bible in a year every year. But you should regularly read through the whole of the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, every book of the Bible. It doesn't have to be all in one year. It doesn't have to be straight through reading all Old Testament and then only getting to new at the end. I was just having that conversation with a member the other day. It doesn't have to be straight through. It can be reading parts of the old, part of the Psalms and the new all at the same time throughout the year. Guess what? There's Bible reading plans that take you through the Bible in two years. I'm going to make a shameless plug for one of them right here. It's called the Daily Reading Bible by Crossway. If you know and have already heard, yes, my wife works for Crossway. No, she does not get commission, so I am not getting any benefit to this in our family. But it is a shameless plug towards a great resource. Because this Daily Reading Bible has a two-year Bible reading plan in it. For you to do just this, to go through the whole of the Bible in two years. And guess what? It's got some great little notes, great little helps to help you study, and even some reflection questions to help you think through the text. Read through the Bible regularly. So when you read things like this in the genealogy of Jesus, it jumps out and it clicks. Know your Bibles backwards and forwards. But going back here to Judah, Judah again is the fourth son, a son who also is found in the Bible. And what happens here in verse three begins to make it even more astounding that he's here. Verse three, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez, the father of Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram. Not only is Judah the fourth son of Jacob, he has children by Tamar. Again, this doesn't make sense unless we know our Bibles backwards and forwards. Judah and Tamar have a scandal behind them. They're not just a husband and, and wife here. Tamar is listed here and Judah is listed here reminding us of their start. Oops. 
Apparently none of my slides came through or I put them out of order one. Alas, um, here as we think through this in Genesis 38, we see this scandal, the scandal of sin and broken promises for Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law. Tamar was given to Judah's son and he died because he was wicked. And then he was given to the second or Tamar was given to the second son to perpetuate the name of the dead. And he is killed because he does an indecency in fulfilling to fill the law of a brother. You can go and read that later. I'm going to keep this G for us this morning. But it's astounding there in Genesis 38 of why this Judah and this Tamar should be included in the line of the Messiah. And yet they are. They're there in the midst of their sin. Judah and Tamar are in the line of Christ. Not because they failed to repent and still included, but because they did humble themselves before the Lord in repentance and ended up coming to the place of belief. And yet they're included still. But it continues on. More shock and surprise comes as we continue to read through this genealogy. Descendants come from Tamar and Judah, Perez and Zerah, his brother. And from the house of Perez, he fathered Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram. Verse four. And Ram, father of Amenadab, and Amenadab, the father of Nation, and Nation, the father of Salmon. It seems in just ordinary reading, this is all going smoothly again now. But verse 5, more shock comes. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. That should send off some warnings. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. More surprise comes here because here two more women are included in the line. Now, I draw this out because Matthew does. It's not here to pick on women in the sense of women like why why are you included? There's all of a sudden shame tied directly to you. But it is to draw distinctions out. If a woman in ancient culture is included in genealogy, it's there for a purpose. It's not there just to be there. Each of these women are drawing to little facts of the history that are pulling them in of why they're here. Particular here, as we see that Obed by or uh, by Boaz by Rahab. Again, nowhere Bibles. This Rahab is the same Rahab of Joshua too. This is the same Rahab who was a prostitute who protected the men of Israel as they came into Jericho and hid them and let them down. Who was spared as Israel conquered Jericho. She was spared and her family with her. A prostitute who was also not a Jew. And yet she's included here in the line of Christ. Despite her past, despite her origin, she is grafted into the family of God, the family of the Messiah himself. But then there's Bo and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Now, friends, we just got done studying the book of Ruth. Now, by the way, I'm not that smart to put the two of these back to back intentionally. But God in his providence saw through my uh, short sightedness and and led us to do these back to back. So we see this even more clearly. 
Ruth, a Moabite. She was a worthy woman, but she was a Moabite. She was not a Jew. And yet here she is included into the family line that leads to David, the king, which leads to Christ, the king. Do you see what God is doing here through Abraham? He is bringing the blessings to the earth. He is bringing blessing to every family by including the families of the earth in the lineage of Christ so that he saves not just the Jews, but all peoples. That's what this is culminating to this Story, this story of Tamar and Rahab and Ruth being included here. That people from every background, no matter their sin and their struggle, no matter their nationality, are included in the family of God. They are grafted in to belong to Christ himself. Jesus brings the blessing not just blessings to Israel, but blessings to those most broken. Blessing to those who are hopeless. Blessing to the nations of the world. To every tongue and tribe and nations, we are told, will come into the kingdom of God. Do we see what we have in Christ? Christian, think about it this way. This is the good news of Jesus. This is a reminder of what has happened for us. We were nobodies. We were sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We do not deserve to enter the family of God. We stood as outsiders. But like Abraham, but like Ruth, like Rahab, we have been invited to come into the family of God through Christ. Through our faith in Jesus and what Christ has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. This is how he brings blessings to us. He brings blessings to save us from our sins, from our transgressions. This is what we have in Jesus. This is how that blessing flows. But friend, if you're here this morning, you think yourself removed from the family of God, which you are. Apart from belief, you are not part of the family of God. But guess what? Regardless of your past, regardless of what you may or may not have done, the same invitation, the same hope that belonged to a prostitute, to a scandal of Tamar and Judah, is extended to you. Despite your past, there is hope in Jesus. There is hope to come and to taste and to belong to the family of God. There's invitation in that. If you will turn and believe, turn from your sin and trust in Christ and follow him, there is salvation. Despite your past, come to Jesus today. Inherit the kingdom of God. Be included in the family of God. Christian, this is also a warning again to us here. If Jesus is the one that brings the hope to the world, if he's the one who brings blessings to every family of every tongue of every nation. then we must awaken our eyes and not be so short sighted. We must see, especially with the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's gospel, that we must be a church that is missional, not just with our neighbors right here in the Northwoods, but to the ends of the earth. We must be a people that are laboring to take the gospel, to advance the kingdom of God to every corner of the earth. 
to Zambia, to Morocco, to the United Arab Emirates, to Pakistan, to India, to Sri Lanka, Eritrea, Russia. Half of Europe has hardly any faithful churches. Brothers and sisters, we must go. We must send. We must mobilize. To quote a a well-known preacher, uh, I will leave it anonymous, we are either goers, sinners, or we're disobedient. Let us see the urgency of this mission, that we are to take and be a blessing to the nations by taking the name of Christ so that the nations may be blessed through him. The people around the world have never heard the name of Jesus. While we slept in India, people died. People who have never heard the name of Jesus. And they were put on furrow pyros. Whether yesterday or as we go to sleep tonight and it's day for them. They will be sent down the river on funeral pyros aflame. And it's a real picture of hell. Those bodies that have never heard and never believed in Jesus are burning They're before people's eyes and they're burning literally in hell because they've never heard the name of Jesus. Let us be the hope of the world by taking the hope of the world in the gospel of Jesus to them so that it may be proclaimed. Brothers and sisters, let us see that Jesus is the one who came to bring blessing, blessing to all nations in surprising ways. And therefore, part of our mission as the church is to go and proclaim this message. He came to save all peoples. But this points us to the last thing we need to consider this morning. The unwavering hope. Friends, hope comes at Christmas in the arrival of a Savior, the birth of Jesus Christ. The patriarchs long ago, they looked forward to this promise with hope. They looked forward to the day Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they looked forward to the day this would be fulfilled. With each new son, there's an awaiting anticipation. Is this finally the serpent slayer that has come from Genesis 3.15? Is this the one that has come to crush his head? Is this son it? They looked forward to that day. They didn't see it, but they looked forward with hope. These promises that once were made are fulfilled in Jesus. And therefore, we have hope too. We have hope because now we can look back and see how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. That we can rejoice in that. Brothers and sisters, we have hope. Despite our origin, despite our start, we have hope in Jesus. He is our only hope in life and in death. And therefore, this is the hope we go to proclaim. Friends, like the inclusion of Rahab and Ruth and even Abraham, God seeks to draw nations to himself. We have that hope. We have that hope of all these nations being drawn in. We have the hope with us. But let us go and proclaim it. Let us go and rejoice in it. Brothers and sisters, let us be a people full of hope that go and take this hope to others. And let us rest in this hope this Christmas. Because we have 
hope in Christ our King. Let's pray.